Hey, thank you for listening to the City Life Church podcast. We are leading people to become fully alive in Jesus. We are a church in San Francisco, and we are praying that this word will encourage you, challenge you, and help you grow in your faith journey. Good morning, church. How are you? Happy Easter. Hey, on a sunny day here in San Francisco. Woo, God is good. Got to be honest, I was kind of stressing out just a little bit this week, like, man, the rains, the storm and all that, but God has been so good, shining his light upon us. If we haven't met on Pastor John, John, if you're kind of brand new to our church, the other bald guy, that's Pastor Isaac. And uh, I'm John, John, married to that cute thing, Pastor Elaine over there. And we want to say thank you for hanging out with us to our online campus. Shout out to you, Pastor Lamy, our online campus pastor. Shout out to you and hosting from Ireland today. Jamie, what's going on? Probably about 6.30 p.m. in Ireland already. Can we tell our online campus how much we love and appreciate them as well? That's amazing. Um, Man, it's a full house, and we had an earlier service, and uh, I'm looking around. There's a lot of people standing. If you actually have a few empty seats next to you, would you just keep your hand up? Our hosts are going to actually help seat. We've got a bunch of uh, seats all throughout. Just keep your hand up if you wouldn't mind. We've got a lot of people that are needing seats. We've got a lot of folks in overflow spaces right now. Family room is full. So um, let's just kind of squeeze in, make room. Amen. I want to shout out Pastor Marquise. Pastor Keys, would you stand up real quick? This is Pastor Keys. He uh, married to Catherine. They are phenomenal, part of our pastoral team. Pastor Keys yesterday in our God Squad helped us put together our Easter extravaganza, 5,000 eggs here at George Washington Carver. And uh, just all the volunteers who served yesterday, we want to thank you. Thank you so much. Guys, we still have a bunch of seats right in this section. If you guys want to fill the space here, it's cool as well. Lots of empty seats. Amen. So shout out to the God Squad and all of our volunteers for serving yesterday and uh, Mobilize Love and different partners from our community. You guys are outstanding. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, Pastor Keys. And someone say, be about it. We don't just talk about it. We're going to be about it. Amen. Actions do speak louder than words. And, uh, and then this morning, we had volunteers waking up at 4 in the morning, getting ready for today. And uh, people were rolling in at 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock. So to all of our volunteers that came early this morning, can we just say thank you? You guys are amazing, amazing, amazing. So after the service, of course, we do have, as we do always, we love eating. So we got some amazing gourmet cupcakes waiting for y'all. And if you're watching online, I want to encourage you, DoorDash some gourmet uh, cupcakes. It'd be a blessing to you. And uh, we do have a photo booth. There is an Easter bunny, but let me remind us, Easter is not about the bunny. Come on, somebody. It's not about the eggs or the cupcakes. Although it's fun having some good cupcakes, right? Obviously, Easter is all about Jesus, not just a great teacher, not just a great prophet, not just a, a miracle-working kind of dude. Jesus, the Son of God, who died, was buried, and rose again. That's what Easter is all about. For us Christians, this is the biggest holiday of the year. Bigger than Christmas, bigger than Halloween for sure, bigger than Thanksgiving. It's all about Easter. And uh, today, my privilege is to give you the Easter message. And I want to focus on three specific moments in the journey that Jesus would take into finally offering himself up on the cross and dying for us. I'm going to talk about three different locations, three different moments. I'm going to talk about Gethsemane. I'm going to talk about Golgotha. And then I'm going to talk about the empty grave. Amen. So Jesus, Jesus is all about life. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So if you're kind of new to the whole church scene and you don't know the whole religious jargon or the talk, 
let me kind of give you a brief crash course, right? God created the world. He created man and woman in his image, and then we screwed things up. <laughs> as simple as it gets. Because of our disobedience, sin entered into the world, but God didn't want it to, to, to end that way, so he actually planned, I'm going to send Jesus, my son, to go to this planet called Earth to redeem people, to save people, to rescue people so people could have a relationship with God, the Creator. The world continued to multiply and grow, and millions of people began to populate this planet. And it was about 2,000 years ago that Jesus would come. He was a gift from God, born of a virgin, Mary. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And uh, Jesus would grow up, and then at the age of 30, he was water baptized, and God affirmed him. He said, this is my son that I love, and in him I'm well pleased. In other words, saying, listen to him, whatever he's got to share, he's bringing good news and he's representing me. Jesus then began to travel and preach about the kingdom of God everywhere he would go. Pretty soon, multitudes would follow him. Thousands of people were listening to his words because his words weren't just information. It was grabbing their hearts. He was bringing hope to people that were hopeless. And all of a sudden, they're experiencing the love of God. And he's saying, God wants to reconcile man to him. But the ultimate purpose for Jesus coming to this world was actually to die on a cross. And we're like, but couldn't he have just skipped that part because he's such a nice guy, taught some great stories, did some incredible miracles for people. Why did he have to die? Because the Bible teaches us that the consequences of sin is actual death. And because all of humanity, past, present, and future had sinned, someone had to pay the price. And only a perfect being like Jesus could pay the ultimate price and pay for the sins of all mankind. That's why Jesus came. So he would travel for about three years. He would recruit these boys. They're, they're called disciples. They come from all kinds of different backgrounds. One of them probably rooted for the, the Oakland Raiders or the Vegas Raiders. Come on, somebody. We don't know. But he had all kinds of different personalities, and he, he believed in them. And he began to mentor them and train them. And, uh, but after three years of ministry, it came to this crescendo, the apex. This moment where he would actually lay his life down to pay that ultimate price for all of us. As we read in the Gospels, Jesus then would come into Jerusalem. And man, he was, he was loved by thousands and he was hated by a bunch of religious people. People that loved him, they began to take their coats off and they, they began to grab some, some palm tree branches and they, they layered the ground as he, would, as he was entering Jerusalem and they were saying, Hail, hail to the king of the Jews. Little did they know that just a few days later, he would actually be hanging on a cross and he would be crucified like a criminal. He comes in into Jerusalem like a king. And then a few days later, as things are heating up, the political leaders, the religious leaders, they're like plotting and scheming. They actually talk to one of his disciples, Judas, who would betray him. Jesus is having dinner on a Thursday night. We as Christians would call this the, the Last Supper. And he's hanging with them and talking to them, having great conversations. And he says, hey, I'm about to introduce a new covenant with you, for that matter, with all of mankind. They didn't understand at that moment what he was talking about. But later they would have that, ah, now we get what he was talking about. See, this would have been, that dinner would have been about 12 to 16 hours before he would be hanging on a cross. He's having intimate conversations with them. Judas then would leave to go betray Jesus and bring the guards to arrest him. But before he was arrested, he would sneak out with a few of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he would go into this place to pray. See, prayer for Jesus was not just an accessory, it was a lifestyle. He was in deep fellowship or communion, community with God the Father. 
He was close that way. And he brought a couple of his boys with him to go pray. And that's where we find ourselves in this moment called Gethsemane. So here's the thought. Matthew 26, 36, it says this. Then Jesus, he went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed. It's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he's talking to his boys and he says, stay here and, and keep watch with me, fellas. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Different Christians and scholars will say it's the cup of iniquity. It represented all of the sins of humanity, all represented in that moment. And then Jesus would say this, yet not as I will, but as you will. Another, another way of saying that, but it's not about me, God. It's not about my desires. It's all about your desires. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, in this very vulnerable moment, perfect, sinless, faultless, never messed up, he finds himself in this very painful moment. The pressures of the world, the pressures of life, crushing his soul, and he's telling his boys, my, my soul is overwhelmed. Guys, I need you to pray with me. And he begins to cry out to God the Father, is there any other route? Is there any other option? And then he realizes, but it's not about how I feel right now. It's not my will, but your will that really matters most. Gethsemane, this place, it was at the base of this mountain called the Mount, Mount of Olives. It was an olive grove. Not olive garden, y'all. Olive grove. <laughs> and at this particular location, at this Mount Gethsemane, this was where the, the olives were brought in and they were crushed. So Gethsemane means the crushing, particularly of olives. And from the crushing of these olives, there would be produced oil. Jesus was literally experiencing an emotional crushing the crushing of his soul. He was sorrowful, troubled, anguished. Different versions would say that he was deeply grieved and distressed. Jesus' soul was experiencing this crushing pressure, stress. Another version would say deep and severe anxiety. Sometimes we think of anxiety as like something bad. Anxiety in itself is not a sin, by the way. We are emotional beings created in the image of God. God's given us emotions. We can experience fear from time to time. We can experience anxiety, worries, concerns. That's part of our human makeup. Jesus himself, our role model, he is overwhelmed. By the way, next Sunday, I'm kicking off a brand new series here called Who Cares? And you're like, man, that sounds a little cold. No, God actually cares. He cares about each and every one of us. And the whole conversation for this next preaching series is about how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with the pressures of life. Because it's not a matter of if, but when we go through some challenging, difficult times. If you're a parent in the room or you're watching online, sometimes you're not the one that's going through a tough time. It's a child and your heart just begins to feel a bit overwhelmed. So we're going to be sharing some keys with our church community, how to navigate through difficult times and how to discover strength in God. Why? Because he cares for us. So that's next week. Be sure to invite a friend. Hey, in, in the gospel of Luke, Luke was, uh, was one of the writers of the gospels here. He was actually a physician or a doctor. He records this, this uh, moment 
of Jesus at the garden, and he communicates it like this. He says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's some significant intercession. As he's praying and he's just feeling the pressures of the world on his shoulders, he is so earnestly anguished that he began to sweat blood. In medical terminologies, doctors would actually describe this as hematohydrosis. Woo, if I could say that real quick, we all be speaking in tongues. Hematohydrosis. It is a very rare condition in which an individual sweats blood. It may occur in an individual who is suffering from extreme levels of stress. Anybody ever been stressed out before? I'm not talking about watching the Niners in the fourth quarter in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Extreme stress. Jesus was feeling this pressure. His heart was being crushed. But I don't have a, my personal sense is I don't feel that he was stressed out about the beating that he was going to take in just a few hours. My personal opinion, I don't think that he was overwhelmed like, oh my gosh, they're going to pierce my hands and my feet. And I'm going to be naked on a cross. I don't think that he was as concerned or worried about a, a crown of thorns that would be wedged into his head. I don't think that that was the concern. I don't think that that was what was worrying him. I also don't think that what was worrying him was just understanding that all the sins of mankind were going to be embedded into him. The Bible says that Jesus knew no sin. He committed no sin, but he became, our, he became sin for us. He took our place. He replaced us. All the sins of humanity were placed on him. But I don't feel that that was what was worrying him. I don't think that it was a concern that, oh my gosh, have you ever, don't, don't raise your hand. We're in church right now. We're watching like, don't raise your hand. But have you ever done something really dumb? And you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And then you feel guilty about it. The guilt and the shame that comes with all that. That's one of the side effects of sin. I don't think that Jesus was actually worried about what he was going to feel in that regard. I don't think that's what was crushing his soul. I think what was crushing his soul was the understanding that in a few moments, because he would take upon himself all the sins of every human being conceived into this world, that would cause a separation between him and the Father, who is a holy God. See, God the Father can't coexist with sin. A holy, perfect God cannot walk with sin in that regard. Jesus realized that that perfect connection he had with God would be severed, that he would be distanced from God the Father. And I believe, in my opinion, that's what began to crush his soul. That's why he would say, Father, is there any other possible way understanding that this had to happen? Why would he go on with that? Why would, why would he go along with this master plan? Let me ask you a couple questions briefly. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Like the world is crashing down on you. Like there's just no way out. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt that before? I have. Have you ever battled anxiety or stress that is beyond even medication? Worries. You go to sleep at night and you toss and turn and, man, you take upon yourself the concerns of tomorrow, even though you're still living in the today. Have you been there? Can I tell you, Jesus has been there and he gets us. He gets you. He understands the pressure. He understands that, that crushing of the soul. He understands what it means to be under the weight, the pressure of life. He gets you. Gethsemane, this moment in his journey, it represents 
the crushing. Can you say the crushing? Crushing. crushing. Let's move on to the next portion here. It's Golgotha. This would be where the Roman soldiers would, would establish these three crosses, two criminals and Jesus right in the middle, and they would crucify these three men. The Mount of Skulls is what it means. Out Golgotha is where Jesus would breathe his last. But God had a surprise for everybody. Let's read from Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Let me remind you, it was just the night before. He's having a great meal with his disciples. They're celebrating the Passover uh, holiday, and they're having a great time. But now, less than 24 hours later, here he is. He's been beaten disfigured. The, the Bible says that people could not recognize him. They didn't know if he was male or female. His body was shredded into all kinds of different pieces. And here he is hanging on this cross. And at 12 o'clock, all of a sudden, it becomes dark. About 3 o'clock, Jesus calls out with a loud voice and he says, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Another ver version would say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Remember that pain that I was talking to you about? Where all of us said now he's experiencing. The greatest pain wasn't the pain that he took upon himself physically. It was the pain of the soul. Where he felt the distancing of a holy God who couldn't be presently connected to him. Now I think of this moment right here and maybe unlike some of the movies that you've watched maybe the Passion of the Christ or other movies depicting this, this event, the greatest event in history for that matter. For three hours, it was dark. Fascinating, fascinating how that is. And do y'all remember a couple of years ago, we had a solar eclipse? I remember I was up in Walla Walla, Washington. And uh, it, I forget, I think it might've been like a Monday morning, if I remember correctly. And the pastor invited me to grab some breakfast. And all throughout the community, they were handing out these special little glasses little lenses because the idea would be it's going to become dark and then we can look at the sun and with these glasses we can actually see it just kind of diminish and whatnot and so we sat there with great anticipation we waited and all of a sudden there it is the moon is beginning to to cover the sun and there it is and pretty soon there's just a tiny little sliver and then when the moon fully covered the sun dark who turned the lights out but then like seconds later, you could see a little sliver of light again. And just the tiniest little sliver of light, it would illuminate our entire downtown community where I was at. And then pretty soon the moon would move away and bam, the whole, the whole world was back to normal again. That solar eclipse only took a few seconds, maybe a few minutes. For this place to be dark for three hours, my personal hunch is that that was no solar eclipse. I've heard different theories, I've heard different ideas, but for the world, particularly in Jerusalem, to become dark for three hours, do you know what my hunch is? I think that every demon that roams this planet said, you know what, look what we've done. We finally got back at God. And they, they gathered at Golgotha, trillions upon innumerable counts of, of demons. They came and they hovered and it was so oppressive and so dark and so heavy. And though they're spirit beings, it was so dark and nasty that the skies became dark. That's my opinion. But the Bible says that God made a spectacle of all these evil spirits. They thought that they had a check, but Jesus had the checkmate. It was the greatest setup. They thought they had one up him, but it was the greatest move. 
God himself, Jesus, would come and he would offer his life as a sacrifice. And by dying, he would break the curse of sin and hell forever. The enemy who the Bible says his wisdom had become corrupted. Had he known what was about to happen, they would have never crucified Jesus. God always has the final say, you all. He has the final word. So when it comes to this moment right here, Jesus understood pressure. He understood dark moments. A couple questions for us real quick. Have you ever experienced aloneness and feelings of abandonment like no one cares? Have you ever been in a heavy or a dark season of life where it's like, man, I don't know that I can get up tomorrow morning. I don't know if there's a reason for living. There's nothing that really motivates or drives me. And maybe you feel the pressures. Maybe in some cases you feel dark spaces. Maybe it is, it is, it is even spiritual. In English, por favor. Say hello to my Brazilian friends. Deus abençoe vocês. All right. <laughs> Have you ever been in those places? Can I tell you, Jesus gets you. Amen. Been there, done that. He's, he understands what it means to be under those types of pressures, those circumstances. He gets us all. Golgotha, it represents the cross, crucifixion, killing. That's what Golgotha stands for. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. What is that saying? Jesus understood that pain in the process and everything that came with crucifixion. But he saw Hank on the other side. He saw David on the other side. He saw Leslie on the other side. He saw me on the other side of the cross. And he says, it is worth it. It's worth it to me. Because he saw you and I and billions of others. He says, I will endure all this. He endured the shame, the reproach, the pain. He went all the way because he loves us that much. Can I remind us? Jesus is not running after just spiritual people. He's running after people. So whether you got a good track record or not such a good track record, Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. He went all the way to see you reconciled to himself. That's the story of Easter. Golgotha, the cross. Then finally the third station, the third location would be not just the grave, but an empty grave. Matthew 28, verse 1, it says this, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a, a great earthquake. They said, are we in San Francisco? No, just messing with you. <laughs> suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and he rolled aside the stone, and he sat on it, and his face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards, they shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women and he says, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And this is my favorite part. He isn't here. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. He said it. Y'all didn't believe it. Y'all didn't understand it. Jesus had been preaching and he actually predicted and prophesied that he would die and that he would be buried. And three days later, he would come up from the grave. Ooh, what a powerful moment. That is what Easter is all about. Dying for a good cause, that's noble. There are actually many people through history that have died for a good cause. 
Someone sees that a family is in, 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 in turmoil and it's like, man, I got to do something about it. So they risk their own lives and knowing that there's a high probability that if I, if I do this to try to help these other folks, it might cost my own life. People have done that for millennia. But to do that and then to come back from the dead after three days, nobody has done that. Doctors can bring people back from, from the dead after a few moments, brief moments, but not after three days. Jesus died, was buried, but the power of resurrection, resurrection power is what brought him out of that grave. Now, graves represent different things. Graves represent dead people. <laughs> Hello, Sherlock. <laughs> graves represent dead dreams. <laughs> Graves represent the dying of ambitions, maybe careers. Maybe in some situations, it's, it's the death of a marriage, the death of a relationship. Graves represent a variety of different things, and there's nothing redemptive or fun or enjoyable about graves. It's dark, it's cold, it's static. But an empty grave, in this context, is the source of life. It's what flips the script. It's what revives people. Those things that were dead, they actually, because of God, they can become alive again. I think of Mary Magdalene, who, if you know her story a little bit, she had no hope for her future. Her reputation, what people thought of her, what people spoke of her, no one would give her a chance, but Jesus had compassion. Jesus flipped the script. Jesus would rescue her. And all of a sudden, she has hope again. And she hears the words that he's speaking to her, and it brings life to her heart. She begins to follow him, but then all of a sudden, the cross, she's crucified. And with that crucifixion, all of her dreams, all of her hope, all of her future, gone. So when she comes to the grave to mourn, it's not like just another loss of a loved one. Everything was invested into that one person. And she comes back, and she's startled. What's going on? And the angel has to say, <laughs> Don't be afraid. The one that you're looking for, he's not here. He's been raised just as he said that he would. Such a powerful truth. Have you ever been in those places? Maybe you felt hopelessness. Maybe you felt like on the inside of you, though you're still living, you're dead on the inside. You're going through the motions, going through the grind, checking off the boxes, but it's like, what's the reason for living? There is no hope. There is no cause. And you're numbing your pain with a variety of different things. Maybe that's your situation. Have you ever felt so much pain and wondered, is living even worth it? Can I tell you once again, Jesus gets you. He gets you. He understands what it means to die. But death is not the final chapter. Death is not the period to the end of your story. There's more. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of life. So here are these questions for us. I've been asking you, have you experienced anxiety, overwhelmness, the pressures of life? Have you been in these dark moments? Have you felt like, man, there's no reason for living? Jesus understands all those things and he can actually come and bring resurrection power to your life as well. And you might say, but Pastor John, John, I'm not a spiritual person like I told you early, earlier. He's not chasing after spiritual people. He just loves people straight up. And he wants to help us. He wants to revive us. The resurrection power. L listen to what he said to his friend Martha. 
In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live. It didn't qualify some people who believe, and if you have this pedigree and this degree and these, he says, anyone who believes in me, they will live. If Gethsemane spoke of the crushing, Golgotha spoke of the cross. The empty grave speaks of resurrection power. And it's not a destination, it's a person. It's not church, it's a person. I believe in a Jesus, a God who comes to resurrect people. He continues to raise people back up. Paul would communicate in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and join me. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul would say this. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit that is living within you. So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, that caused him to breathe again, that same spirit can come and revive us. That same spirit wants to come and bring resurrection power to your life. Maybe your spirit or your soul is dead to God. God can resurrect dead souls. Maybe you've got some buried dreams and you're thinking, there is no hope for my tomorrows. I've screwed up way too many times. There's no going back in time. I can tell you, maybe you can't go back in time, but God can start a brand new story in your life. He can actually resurrect some dreams. Maybe there are certain things that can't be undone, but from your scars and from our bruises, God can actually bring life, reviving us and reviving those around us. I may not know your name. I may not know your story but I know his name and he knows about you. He cares about you. He's madly in love with you. He continues to pursue you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead wants to raise us up. My brother, and my sister, I don't know what you're navigating through in this season, but there's a God who cares. There's a God with resurrection power. I'm gonna invite you all, all of us to stand to our feet all throughout the auditorium in our family space and overflow. I wanna pray for us today. It's Easter Sunday. Can I remind us that God doesn't need our favors? God doesn't need us to do him any favors at all. He doesn't need us to jump through uh, religious hurdles. What he's looking for is hearts that would say, God, I, I wanna have a relationship with you. On Easter Sunday, there's resurrection power here today to cause people to live again. I wanna pray for us. Lord, we love you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you care about us so deeply. I thank you that you went above and beyond. You went all the way for us. You pay the ultimate price so that we would be born again, revived, that our dead spirits would become alive to you. Lord, we celebrate that not only you died on that cross about 2,000 years ago, but you were raised from the dead. And in doing so, you conquered sin, you conquered the grave, and you conquered hell for all of eternity. Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise. We honor you. We bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm going to have our worship team lead us in this song, and then I'll come back to, to lead us in another prayer.
Amen, amen. My friends, today, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And maybe you find yourself today on Easter Sunday sensing I've been distant from God. Maybe one or two scenarios have played out in your life. Maybe number one, you've never given him the opportunity to be the designated driver in your life. You've been calling all the shots on your own. You've been your own boss. And you realize, man, I, I need help. This Jesus that I heard about today, I need him to come and to take control of my life, to lead me from this place forward. Maybe that's your story. Or perhaps the second scenario, maybe at some point in your journey, you did surrender your life to him and you invited him to come into your life and be the Lord of your life. But life happened. Choices were made and you found yourself hijacking that wheel again. And if you had to be honest, you're saying, man, I, he's not the Lord of my life. The good news that I have for all of us, the Bible tells us anyone, anyone, that means all of us, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus, they shall be saved. He wants to rescue us. He wants to help us. He wants to help you right where you're at. We talked about pressure today. We talked about anxiety and worries and concerns and dark places. Jesus wants to step into your space and he wants to bring you to full life in him. So I'm going to lead us out in this prayer and I'm going to invite our entire church and those watching online and in family space and overflow rooms. I want to invite you to pray out loud with me. Amen. Let's pray together. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming after me. Today, I open my heart. I invite you in. Be the Lord of my life. Take the wheel and lead me into your perfect will. I repent of my sins, my selfishness. I surrender fully to you. Be the Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord one more shout today. Amen. Praise God. Invite Pastor David to come and wrap up this time with us. Amen. Happy Easter to you, Pastor David.